morning, GCC. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. That was a powerful video. Um, you look about how God used um, just a few people to reach um, hundreds of people. And as I looked at that video, I was like, you know, Lord, here these guys are waiting on your scriptures. And um, we have multiple copies of God's Word. I mean, how blessed are we to have God's Word uh, available to us anytime. And uh, to see how the Lord is using folks around the world to help us to be more thankful people. Um, and I thought also about the fact that, you know, you just have a few people, and it really just takes one, right? Just to be obedient to the Lord. And, um, you know, with the young people in here, second service, I could have said this first service, I didn't, but, um, you know, always be available to say, Lord, where and when and how, because you never know where the Lord might lead you. You know, we have an opportunity to, to participate, don't we, in partnering with people for the gospel? We do. We can partner with them by uh, praying with them, and that's what they need most importantly. They need our prayers. But we also partner with them financially. We're able to give to them. We have many missionaries in our own church who we're able to partner with. So when you guys give and you give to missions, you're giving to 30-something people around the world whose primary focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ, an eternal issue. And so I just want to encourage you that, you know, the Lord may not lead you around the world. That's fine. But we can support people around the world, can't we? Through praying with them and through partnering with them and giving. So just want to encourage you, you know, Mission Aviation Fellowship is celebrating 75 years. That was a tremendous video. Eddie Bradley sent that to me a few weeks ago. And I said, Eddie, there'll be a Sunday. And uh, it's today. So I'm glad you got to see that. And if you want to see it again, um, call me, text me, whatever. We'll try to get you an opportunity to see it again. It's a tr- I think it's a, just a tremendous, tremendous testimony. Uh, this morning, um, Corey Cooper is going to uh, read our scripture that we'll consider this morning. We'll consider part of 1 Corinthians 11 today as we partake of the Lord's Supper. But Corey Cooper is going to come down. He's going to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Corey? Good morning. That was a little loud. All right, so we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read verses 17 through 34, okay? 1 Corinthians 11. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? 
I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Um, <clears throat> as I was praying the last couple of days, um, just about this this particular section, one of the things that really stood out to me um, for people in my age range um, is being intentional. Um, you see Paul here say it's, says be intentional about the Lord's Supper. And I, I don't know that my generation's really doing a great job of being intentional about the things of Christ. And so my encouragement would be that we could start that today. My generation being intentional about Christ about the things of Christ, the things that he cares about. And it's obvious in his word that one of the things he cares about is his supper. And so I, I hope that my generation will take that seriously um, and that we will be intentional about that. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, um, I first and foremost just want to thank you for salvation. Father, uh, your supper is a time to, to remember what you've done. Lord, your body being broken, your, your blood being poured out. Lord, those things, what they mean to me and to my salvation. Lord, um, I said it earlier in my prayer to you. I, I cannot put a price on that. It is literally priceless. Father, I am so thankful for my salvation. Father, I'm, I'm burdened from my, from my age group, from my generation. Father, I pray that we would be intentional about the things that you care about. Lord, that we wouldn't be like this Corinthian church where they were making a mockery of your supper, Lord. It's a very serious thing. Lord, it's a, it's a time of holiness. And so I pray that we would take it that way, Lord, that our, our hearts, our minds, Lord, our brains, it would just all be focused on you, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. But for the Lord's Supper, Lord, this is really focused on what you've already done, the works that have been accomplished. Lord, I thank you for your body being broken, your blood being poured out, your death and your resurrection. Father, I pray these things in your truly holy, holy, holy name. Amen.
morning, guys. Great to see everybody this morning. We want to lift the name of the Lord high this morning, sing about who he is, his character, uh, and also just Jesus and the gospel and what he's done for us. So let's all stand as we worship the Lord together this morning.
thankful for this morning, guys, but nothing more than Jesus. So let's sing this together. Mystery of the cross I can't comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. That you, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son. You drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice,
guys can have a seat. Um, we'll be taking communion shortly. One of the main things with that is that we examine ourselves, right? I know Dad's going to be talking about that. We just pray that the Spirit uses this song to kind of facilitate that a little bit because the message of the song is about running to the Father, our need for Him. So you guys listen to the words as we sing this. Oh 
Worshiping the Lord, don't we? Um, this morning, before I bring a message um, that centers around the Lord's Supper, um, this last week I called or texted um, Denise Gardner and Kevin Landers. Um, the Lord put them on my heart just to be a part of the service and sharing their own personal testimony of what the Lord's Supper has meant to them over the years. And Denise Gardner did that first service. And um, I've asked Kevin Landers to share uh, this morning with us as to what the Lord's Supper has meant to him since he has come to know Christ as his Savior. So, Kevin, you come. Keith said, <clears throat> I believe if... Uh, Dr. Hughley and I ran a foot race this morning. I think he would win. My back is killing me. So um, it's good to share with you. Uh, when I was asked uh, to give testimony on this, uh, it always excites me to share. Um, I did not have to pray about that. Uh, it's just an automatic for me. Um, so I appreciate you asking me to share with that. <clears throat> I've always felt that testimony is an important attribute, um, just like the Lord's Supper is an attribute. So I want to start with an example uh, for you. Uh, when we look at athletes, they have to have mental toughness and acuity, right? Uh, they have to have the toughness to outwit and outstrategize their opponent. So I think communion is a just like that is a is an important uh, start for us defeating the enemy. We have to get our hearts and minds right, and so that's how I, I think about that. And so as I continue to share, um, these elements that we share together uh, commemorate Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Uh, they are forever sealing you and I. Uh, it's a very intentional time for me. Uh, it's an intentional time of unity for us. We are all part of one body, and so the significance of breaking from one body and in essence, sharing one cup of Christ's atoning blood. I think that's important. Uh, it's a time of confession. And within that, it is a time of unity and support of each other in that time of confession. It is for me. 
Uh, it's important to share with you that I've only been able to take part, truly take part, in communion as a believer since seven years ago. Actually, as of this month, September 9th, actually. Man, that gets me every time. I'm thankful to be able to share with you again the table. I ask myself, am I truly ready to take part in what this truly means as a part and an attribute of our faith? Am I truly walking with integrity? Am I growing? Am I truly loving my family and everybody around me? Just as important, am I capable of receiving in this time? So communion means this to me. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to reset my mind, my heart, as I should do daily anyway. It's a time to reflect on mercy, on grace, forgiveness, sacrifice, and redemption that's taken place in my life. It is also a time to reflect on the hope that we have in Jesus. It's a reverent time, right? It should be a reverent time. It's a time of being honest with myself, praying that God will, uh, will show me what he sees, which is very scary, by the way. Making sure that I'm taking part in the table with a right spirit, with clean hands, a pure heart, and a renewed spirit. It should be a focus for me in this action we're doing and as a body. Psalm 24 is one reference to that. I need to be certain that I am partaking in this communion, in this action, this intentional action with a clean heart. Communion is also a time of rest for me, just as our daily time with the Lord should be. This type of rest provides a surpassing peace that only the Lord can provide. Nobody else can give that type of peace. There's no better comfort than the Lord, regardless of circumstance or heartache for me. I have to remember, no matter what my current situation no matter how unbearable it seems, no matter what unbearable roads it looks like I need to walk down, this is it. This is what it's about. Finally, there's an element of confirmation for me. Uh, it has been each and every time I have had communion for the last seven years. It's confirmation of a rightful place as a son that only occurs through Jesus. Being adopted as the word tells me I am. Amen. I can praise during this time of communion. I love being thankful during this time. I want to be grateful. I want to praise. And when I look back of all the confirmation of God being all over the place in my life, it's confirmation of purpose. It's confirmation of the gifts that he's given me. It's confirmation of talents. And during communion, I love to look back and see this confirmation, which comes through prayer, circumstances, it comes from the Bible, and it comes through other believers. And I'll tell you, many of you in here, if not all of you, for the past seven years, have been a big part of confirmation for me and my family. And so please know that. Be encouraged that this is a key attribute of our faith. 
It is for me, and it's important to note that this is truly love in action. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, and my actions should reflect that. It should reflect that in this obedient act of taking the elements as a body as well. It's not about checking a box. Please never do that. It is truly love in action with a pure heart from the inside out, no matter what your age is. Age is just a number. We must all be able to outwit and outstrategize the enemy, and we know who that is. And it starts with a right heart, a right mind, hands and feet that are Christ-centered. And I feel this is a must, the foundation of worship, discipline, and action. I have to bank my every day on those three founding principles. And taking the, tele- the elements with you is a privilege. I appreciate you letting me share. Thank you, Kevin. Isn't it interesting to hear different people's perspectives and how they came to um, appreciate this time that we celebrate today? Because it truly is a celebration. We don't need to forget that. It's a celebration and accomplishment of what only Christ could do. Uh, he could only satisfy uh, the wrath uh, of the Father. And uh, the only time that the Father and Son were separated, uh, <laughs> it's an amazing thing about, was when he was on the cross and Christ said to him, um, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But we go on in, the, in the, the story of the cross to when Christ says, it is finished. And uh, so this morning, I wanted you to go with me back to 1 Corinthians 11. And I want us to consider a few things this morning before we partake together. When I grew up, um, most of my growing up years were in Louisiana. That great, hot, humid, wonderful state. Of Louisiana with great food. The best food ever is in the state of Louisiana, period. Um, there's not even an argument about that. Um, but growing up in Louisiana uh, for most of my years, one of the traditions that we had as a family was to come to the table. This morning we come to the table to remember what our Lord has done for us. And when I was growing up, we came to the table every night I do not know um, if that takes place much today but when I was growing up at 1600 Sunset Drive in Lake Charles Louisiana uh, my father demanded that we be at the table you wouldn't even question it it was supper at five o'clock and Walter Cronkite at 530 and I had to watch the first 10 minutes of the news whether I liked it or not but it was just set in stone every night at five o'clock we came to the table. And you know what we did at the table? We ate at the table. We fellowshiped at the table. Uh, Thad confessed at times at the table. Um, I wanted to please my father growing up, and 
Just like so much I want to please my Heavenly Father, right? More than that. Um, one of the things I found myself doing is when I would do something wrong, I would confess. My sister couldn't stand it because typically I would not only confess for myself, but I would confess for her as well. But we would come to the table and we would share a meal together and uh, we had to eat everything on our plate. That was back in those days when second and third meals were not options. You did not cook two or three meals. You cooked one. And um, you remember those days, some of you? And you put the food on the table and whatever was there, you ate it. And I remember coming to the table several times trying to talk my way out of eating things like green beans and spinach. Anything green I was just opposed to. That's probably why I had heart surgery last December. But um, over the years, I grew up and I learned to appreciate the green food. Um, but one of the things that uh, we need to do today, you know, I can look back and remember the table I ate at growing up. And maybe you guys can think about, man, I don't know if that goes on too much today, but if that goes on today, what does that table mean for you? And then how much more important is it that we come to the table of the Lord to remember uh, what he did for us? And this morning I want to remind us just a, a few things that are mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so I want you to start with me in verses 24 and 25. Because as we come to the table, the first thing we need to remember is that it's a table of obedience. We're coming in obedience to the Lord. Look what it says in verse 24. This is my body which is for you. Do this. That's what Jesus told his disciples right before the crucifixion. He said, do this. In this account here that we have in the Corinthian letter, it says, do this. It's a command. Then in verse 25, you find the same thing. Do this. Look at the bottom of the verse. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord expects us to obey him. How many of you agree with that this morning? He expects us to do what he says. Um, these are two, there are two elements uh, in this church that we two ordinances that we uh, believe the Lord has set forth for us and we want to obey what he said one is baptism and so when a person's born again uh, the scriptures are clear about obedience in terms of being baptized to identify themselves with Christ uh, and then when it comes to the Lord's Supper we take together as a body and we do that because the Lord wants us to he wants us to obey him and so um, in short, we come because the Lord requires it of us. You know, one of the things that has often been debated in uh, Christian circles is how often should one come to the table? I think a lot of times people have um, limited coming to the table in a church setting. And I want you to hear me out on this. I don't see anything biblically that would preclude um, a father leading his home in that do you I can't find it I mean if you have a family together that wants to come together to remember the Lord and what he's done by all means do it right we're not told we can't do that but as a body of believers we come together to remember what the Lord's done and we do it in obedience and the table is for those who are born again those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior the, the table is not for the unregenerate 
And yet you wonder how many people around the world participate in a service like this who have no idea what they're doing. And they believe that by doing this activity that somehow they're right acceptable to God. It's just another work for them. I mean, for us it's a celebration in what Christ has done for us. So it's a table of obedience, first of all. But it's also a table of remembrance. Look in verse 24 again. If you can put back up verse 24, it tells us it's a table of remembrance. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 25, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in what? In remembrance of me. Um, Let me talk about this for just a moment. We certainly want people to remember us, don't we, class? The answer is yes, we do. We want people to remember our birthdays. Although you get to a certain age and you're like, yeah, I'm good with that. You don't have to remember anymore. Uh, We certainly, wives, we certainly, right? You certainly want your husbands to remember your anniversary. And if if a husband does not remember their anniversary, they are in deep. Deep, deep, I could just keep going on with that. Trouble, all right? And so wives expect their husbands to remember. We remember uh, important dates, don't we? Um, Do you remember what took place December 7th, 1941? Did they teach you guys that in school today? What took place December 7th, 1941? Do you remember some of you, not all of you were alive for sure as I'm looking at this crowd, but some of you were. Do you remember 128-86? How many of you were even alive in 1986? Teresa and I have been married one year, almost. 128-86, the space shuttle Challenger went down. you remember that? I remember exactly where I was. I was in the student union building along with another guy that was kind of cutting class. (laughs) We were cutting class because we wanted to watch the launch of the Challenger. And we sat there in just disbelief as to what we saw. I mean, we just couldn't believe our eyes. It was one of those things you're like, you don't really want to see it again, but you want to see it again because you're like, did I just see that? So um, you have dates that you remember, and then, of course, 9-11. How many of you were not born before 9-11? Look at all these little things. So, I mean, there are dates that we remember Dates that um, mean more to us. And Scripture tells us here in this passage that the Lord expects us to remember His sacrifice. And we do that. We take the bread and we break it and we give thanks just as the Lord took it, which is amazing. Before the cross, he, He took the bread and He broke it and gave thanks for what was about to take place, for what was about to be accomplished um, and we take the cup and we remember the blood of our Lord that was spilled. Without the shedding of blood, there's what? There's no remission of sin. Um, but the Lord's blood, it was satisfactory. Um, so we're told to remember him, remember his sacrifice. But when you think about the disciples in Matthew 22, or Luke 22, excuse me, um, and the other Gospels, at that last Passover meal before his death, Um, He uses the same phrase, pre-cross, to tell his disciples to remember him. 
Now for them, at that point, I'm not sure they fully got what was about to transpire. But afterwards, right, after he ascended, and after the church began, and when the church began to remember what the Lord Jesus had done for them, that was significant. But at that moment in time, when Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, remember him, I wonder what went through their minds. I wonder if the disciples had more than just the thought as they went on of remembering the sacrifice of the Lord as time progressed, as the crucifixion happened, as the resurrection took place, as the ascension took place. I wonder, in my mind, when the disciples were in that upper room and Jesus said, remember him, if it was more than that. Now, we don't want to downplay at all what the Scriptures tell us to do. But at the same time, when the disciples were in the upper room, it just, I mean, my mind has to be thinking, okay, I don't know that they fully comprehended at that time what was going on. So for him to say, remember him, that would be in the future. But what would come to their minds in that upper room? And later on is... They were told to remember him. I I wrote down a few things. I wonder if it was not only the sacrifice of their Lord that they remembered, but they remembered also how incredible their Savior was that he turned water to wine. (laughs) The one they followed turned water to wine. The one that they followed told the sea to be still. And it ceased immediately. I wonder if when they were thinking of their Lord and the crucifixion and and the resurrection, if they were not only also thinking about the five loaves and the two fish. That's one of my favorite miracles of our Lord. There's so much in that. If you want to read that discourse in John 6, it's, it's just absolutely incredible. But to think about that in that passage, it says he fed 5,000 men. That word men there is andros, just men. That doesn't include the women and the children. So let's just say conservative 15,000 with five loaves and two fish. And if you're one of those disciples handing out that stuff, watching what was taking place, I mean, woo! Yes, remember the cross. Yes, remember what took place. But for them, I'm thinking, man, when they think of Christ and everything that they got to see, and not only to see the five loaves and the two fish continue to multiply, but think about this, 12 baskets left over. So I would say to us, yes, we remember his death. And in the context, context, that's what he's wanting us to do. Remember his death. But let's remember Christ. Let's remember who he is. Let's remember what he says. Let's remember the promises that he's given to us. Um, I don't know. I just, I got to thinking, I was, I mean, I was studying Luke 22 this week, and I almost went to Luke 22 for this morning, but I would have never been able to get through Luke 22 because there's about two or three statements that are made there and two or three statements by our Lord that are just absolutely worth considering all day long. Next time we have the Lord's Supper together, I'll probably do Luke 22. We may have, just have a two-parter. And the second week, we'll actually have communion. 
but it's a time of remembrance, and that's what our Lord wanted the church at Corinth to do, just like he wants us to remember today. So it's a time of obedience, it's a time of of remembrance, and it's also at the table, as we come to the table, it's a time of self, get this, self-examination, okay? It's not our responsibility to examine the one next to us. In fact, notice what it says in verse 28. If we could put verse 28 up there. But let a man examine who? Himself. Himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know what? Every once in a while, you just have to bring out the Greek language in the order just because it's very critical. Did you know in the Greek text, the word examine is the first word in the sentence for emphasis. (laughs) In other words, did you know he's telling the Corinthian believers, examine now, do it now. Your responsibility is to examine yourself. Um, It's the fifth word in our translation. It's the first word in the Greek language. The word means to test, to test the genuineness of something, to test the authenticity of something. In that culture, it was to test the metals to see if they were genuine. Well, in this context, he wants them to test themselves to see what's going on in their lives, to examine what's going on. Well, when you look at what was going on, you go, whoa, hold on a second. What was going on in the church at Corinth at the time when they came to this agape feast? Because the agape feast is the greater context. The believers would gather together to enjoy a meal together. And then part of that sharing time together was remembering the death of the Lord. You say, well, how are they doing in all that? Because he tells them, examine yourself. How are they doing? So if we examine from afar, look at the text, what does it tell us about these believers? How are they doing? Well, if we examine the text, we see that division existed in the church at Corinth. Division is never good in the body of Christ. Are you listening to me? It's never good. In fact, one of the major subjects in the New Testament when it comes to the church is unity. There needs to be unity in the body of Christ. It's a testimony. It's a witness. I mean, what do you think the unbeliever does whenever they see churches splitting and people walking away? Oh, yeah, there's a bunch of hypocrites. They don't, they're not any different than we are. There was division that existed. You go all the way back to the beginning of the letter, and he points out the division that existed among the believers there in Corinth. And it's important to point out, these were believers. He's not talking about or writing to unbelievers. He's writing to those who are in Christ. But they weren't doing so well. There was a sin in the camp. There was division, there was drunkenness that was going on at this agape feast. Verse 21 says, For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is what? Drunk! They weren't taking serious, Kevin pointed out in his testimony, the serious nature 
of what we do. There wasn't a seriousness there. There was sin in the camp. There was division, disunity, drunkenness, and selfishness. Notice 21. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. It wasn't sharing going on in the body. What is, what's one of the greatest testimonies of the early church? They had everything in common. They were sharing together. Acts chapter 4 tells us. And so, in the church at Corinth, there was sin. Their responsibility was to examine themselves. It's interesting that in the second letter to the Corinthian church, in chapter 13 and verse 5... The Apostle Paul tells them, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, if, that, if that's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. We need to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Are we truly born again? Is Christ our Savior? I trust He's your Savior today. But, you know, I've heard testimonies of people, and you have too, who have been in the church for years and years and claim salvation, and then one day they get saved. And they stand up before a congregation and say, I thought I was saved back in 1975, but I just got saved this last year. We, and, I, and this is how the mind works. We go, oh, well, you were probably really saved in 1975. Well, that's between them and who? The Lord, right? So these believers here were being selfish. These believers here were drunk. There was division that took place. There needed to be a time of what before the Lord, guys? A time of what? Confession. You know, one of the things that um, is actually humorous to me is to think that somehow we hide our sin from God. I guess when I was a little guy, I probably thought I could do that. You know, just like when I was a little guy, I used to think, well, I can hide the things I'm doing wrong from my dad and my mom. And somehow they always knew. How do they do that? Right? I was like, how do they do that? Well, we know how our God, right? He knows all things. He knows everything about your life and everything about my life. In fact, I was having a time of confession yesterday. And um, I just said, Lord, these are the things that I'm doing that are wrong. That I've done that are wrong. I'm just being honest with you, okay? This is gut level honest. I think sometimes people walk in congregations and think, well, the pastor, he's a perfect dude. Well, no, he's not. <laughs> I sin every day, every single day. I, don't, I can't remember a day in my life where I have not sinned. And you say, well, that, that's kind of, well, you know what? My thoughts, my mind, my mind is just, I don't know, how's your mind? I mean, it just runs all the time. And sometimes my thoughts are on good things. Sometimes they're not. That's just the truth. So then I had that time of confession before the Lord. Then last night I took a shower and I shave on Saturday nights because I can't shave in the morning too well. I end up hitting things and I'm bleeding all over the place. So typically I shave at night so I don't have to do it the next morning. Well, I'm shaving and I'm looking in the mirror making sure I'm not nicking myself. I have this mole right here, man. And when I clip that baby, it's just like gushes. Um, I should have told him to take it off of me when I had heart surgery. Just get rid of that baby. But I was looking in the mirror, shaving, and I'm like, man, Lord, I confess those things that I don't know that are sin. I just don't know. Because, see, he's not just 
the little guy next to you. It's like Corey prayed in his prayer. He's a holy, holy, holy God. And it's only by the grace of God that we're allowed to even approach him. And it's only through the blood of Christ, right, that we've been redeemed. Um, wow. So that's kind of tough. Well, yeah, it is because we have to be honest. Examination requires honesty. But I want to tell you the great part in this, guys. That's the tough part. Here's the great part. That when we confess, and that just means to agree with God. When we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. I like that. So in the Corinthian church, they were told to examine themselves. We look at him, we need to be real careful not to just point the finger and say, these are some raunchy dudes. Because you know what? I'm raunchy. My flesh, I am raunchy. I'm thankful that I've been covered with the righteousness of Christ. But I live this life. Just like um, the Apostle Paul and other, all the other apostles. Right? You remember that point in time where the Apostle Paul in Romans, what does he say? Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> right? You're like, hey, hold on a second. That's the Apostle Paul. But he understood, did he not? He understood his own condition. And he also understood that he was no longer condemned because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so it's a table of examination. It's also, though, I want to just give you a couple of more here. It's a table of declaration. Look at verse 26. If we could put verse 26 up there. It's a table of declaration. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did Christ die in vain? Answer, no. He died for what? He died for our sins. He atoned for all sins, for all people, for all time. The question is, have you trusted in Christ and what he has done for you on the cross? So when we are taking these elements today, you're proclaiming, yes, Christ died for our sins. And I've trusted in him. I believe in him as Savior. Um, there was only one could, that could atone for the sins of man. Um, I like the way John puts it in 1 John chapter uh, 2. Listen to these words. 1 John chapter 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. That's a hard word to say. He's the satisfaction. That's the word meaning there. He's the satisfaction for our sins. And all God's people said, hallelujah. But notice what it says after that. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, I don't know how you get around that. I just can't see. How do you get around that? John's saying, hey, listen, he died for our sins, but he also was a satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. And so I'm thankful for that. It lets me know this, that not only 
as a believer, am I guaranteed the presence of the Lord? But it gives me a purpose when I go out in the world and I declare the hope that I have. And I say to the unbeliever, right? I mean, isn't that one of our favorite parts when we're witnessing? Guess what? Yeah, you're a sinner and they're like, ah, I'm not, right? But then you say, hey, listen, Christ died for our sins. He paid for mine, he paid for yours. You better say mine first, right? Just a whole lot better in that order. So it's a table of declaration. It's also a table of expectation. Notice what it says at the end of verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Till he comes. How many of you believe he's coming today? Believe? Guys, you look at the world today and what's going on. He's coming. Listen to me. Young people, listen to me. Do not walk out these doors today without knowing that you know. That Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. And I want to tell you, young people, listen to me. I'll say just like the Apostle Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. And he died for Thad Blunt, but he died for you. He stretched out his arms, Christ did in love, and his blood was poured out for you and for me and for everyone out there in the world. And I remember that day of salvation when I was introduced to Jesus Christ the Lord. And how special it was for me as a little boy. I know I was saved at age seven because I remember going down the street to Greg David's house. Now, names in Louisiana are different. You got Thibodeau and Boudreaux and David. And David spelled D-A-V-I-D. Okay, it's just pronounced different. But I remember running down to Greg David's house and telling him, Hey, listen, Greg, I got saved, man. You're a sinner. And Christ has died for you. Isn't it great news? Because none of us could atone for our own sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And we live the Christian life in expectation of the return of Christ. I pointed this out in first service something that um, I think is important in the context of the passage. Isn't it interesting that you have in that text the death looking to what? Return. But there are two significant events that took place in the life of Christ between his death and his coming for the church. You know what those are? Class. After his death came... You can say it louder. The resurrection. He didn't remain in that grave. The third day, he rose again, as Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures. But did you know there's another significant event? And I told the people first service, I bet in my lifetime, I've not heard five sermons on the ascension of Christ. I remember at Southeastern it being important to the professors. But I'm like, man, I haven't heard too many. How many of you have heard over five sermons on the ascension of Christ? But what does the ascension of Christ tell us? His work on earth was what? Done. And he went, right, he ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father 
waiting for the moment to come get his church. By the way, that's those of you who are in Christ. I've always wondered how many people in being left behind would know what takes place when Christ comes for his church. I always just kind of wondered that. Like, well, some people that have been in church and heard some preacher like myself go, hey, here's the timeline of that. You know, Christ is coming for his church, which is called the rapture. And then there'll be the seven-year tribulation period. And then, you know, Christ is going to come back to earth to rule and to reign, right? And how many people are going to stand around and have been in church and have heard that message but are not going to be with the Lord because they're not saved. I trust maybe even for some of you today, today could be that day of salvation. So as we come to the table this morning, I want us to remember this. It's a table of obedience, a table of remembrance, a table of examination, a table of declaration, a table of expectation. Listen to me. We don't just serve some God that we go, oh, well, he's just like we are. No, he is holy, holy, holy. He's a righteous, righteous, righteous God, one that loved us so much. Just as Paul wrote in Romans, God demonstrated his love toward who? Us. And that while we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I think about what the Lord's done for us, my mind was brought to the hymn Amazing Grace because it's all about the grace of the Lord. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but I want to read it because I want you to be reminded about this amazing grace As we come to the table this morning and remember what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us. We know the verse, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You remember the hour you first believed? You remember that time? You remember who it was that shared the gospel of Christ with you? In the third verse, the Lord hath promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Then the, the, the last verse, I mean, man, that just makes you jump out of your seat. It should, anyway. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all our sin. This morning, as we come to the table together, I want to give you some time just between you and the Lord, just a time of, if you need to, a time of confession before Him. And I just want to let all of you know, if, if, there's, uh, if you're not a member here at Grace, you don't have to be a member of Grace Community Church to partake of the Lord's Supper. You just need to be a member of the family of God. You need to be born again. 
But we also, as we read from 1 Corinthians 11, see how important it is to kind of examine ourselves and to be right before the Lord. And so I want to give you an opportunity just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just a time of, of confession before the Lord, before we partake together. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. And I pray that as we partake this morning that we would remember your great sacrifice for us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You should have had this cup sitting there on your chair when you came in this morning. And if you don't, there are empty chairs. You can, can grab you one. But um, there's two different openings the top one is for the wafer and then the bottom one obviously is for the juice and so um, I've asked Buddy Seal if he would to pray for uh, the bread uh, this morning for us as we partake it of it together Father we come to you with fear and trembling, and we stand amazed and in awe that we can can become, can come to a holy God, not because we're worthy, but because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was willing to die for us. And God, uh, it's a humbling experience, and I, I admit I don't understand it all. But I thank you for it. May we never forget what you've done, how you love us. Help us to live for you, to show that we uh, do believe it all. Father, I thank you. Uh, although things are changed and we have to do everything in a different way right now, God, you never change. You're always loving. You're always righteous. And Father, I thank you that we can come before you, not because of what we are or who we are, but because of your righteousness and the shed blood of Christ. And we give you all thanks and praise your name and give you glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before um, we take together, um, it tells us in, in verse 23 and 24 of... 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. So it says he took the bread, and then it says that when he had given thanks, he broke it. I don't know how that hits you, but it hits me. Knowing what was ahead of him, he gave thanks. And so this morning, as we partake together and remember the body of our Lord, let's give thanks to him for his willingness not to die for us. Let's take it together.
This morning I've asked George Morange if he would uh, pray for the cup as we remember the blood of our Lord that was shed for us. And so, George, would you pray for us, please? Father, we do give thanks uh, for the cup. Uh, it's just a little container with uh, juice, but the significance of it is, is so great because you've chosen the cup to remind us that you shed your blood as you satisfied all that your Holy Father demanded of the one who was the sin bearer. Our sins were put upon you. And then God punished you in our place. We give thanks for that. Your death inaugurated the new covenant. We don't follow Abraham, Moses' law any longer. But we are part of a new covenant that guarantees us eternal redemption. And we are to be your children forever. Lord, may that, may that be heavy on our hearts and minds as we live out our lives in mortality. We know that one day you will come. But until then, we want to be obedient to you. We want to be pleasing to you. We want to make you known all throughout this world. And so we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. It tells us um, in 1 Corinthians 11, the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so they drank together. I'm going to need your assistance to close this morning because I'm going to ask that we would sing. Um, we're told that when they partook, the disciples, they sang, and they dismissed. And that's what we're going to do. But I really, 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 really want you guys to sing along with me the first and last stanzas of Amazing Grace. So let's stand and let's sing together. And after we sing the last song, uh, last uh, verse, then you'll be dismissed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We days to sing God's praise than when we first began.
God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed.